Hello, my name's Will McKerris, and for the next half hour, this is The Pilgrim's Pod. Thank you, thank you, and welcome to our program. We've got plenty lined up, which we hope you'll enjoy. Uh, one of our songs will be about Lazarus and how Jesus raised him from the dead. Uh, you might know that when Jesus raised Lazarus, he had been dead for a few days. And in fact, in the King James uh, translation of the Bible, someone makes a funny comment about that. Uh, she says to Jesus about Lazarus, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Um, I was a bit, I thought that was a funnier joke than maybe. <laughs> I'm a, I thought that was a funny joke. Yeah, yeah. Could we do that bit again and do a better laugh? Would that be right? Okay. In fact, there's a funny translation to that effect in the King James Version. Uh, someone says to Jesus about Lazarus, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, someone says to Jesus about Lazarus, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> yeah, that was all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the, yeah. And so here now is a part of his story based on John chapter 11. Uh, I have included in this one some imaginary details. So, for example, I've imagined that Lazarus was a cowboy. And uh, actually in the song, I, I, get to be, I get to be a cowboy too because uh, I've set it to an old tune called The Streets of Laredo. And in the first verse of that song, the narrator is a cowboy. So here's that one. As I walked out in the streets of Bethany, as I walked out onto Bethany one day, I spied a young cowboy all wrapped in white linen and smelling of 96 hours of decay. I see by your outfit that you are a cowboy These words he did say As I slowly walked by Come sit here beside me And hear a good story For only last week I was sick and did die And they beat the drum slowly Played the fife lowly Played the dead march as they carried me along They found a tomb for me and closed it behind me A sorry young cowboy who'd surely done wrong But I have a partner as dear as a brother 
He worked as a carpenter formerly, though lately he's taken to preaching and healing all over the region of Galilee. And he was, I believe, near the banks of the Jordan when he heard with his posse that I might pass on. He came here to see me and spoke to my sisters and bitterly wept when he saw where I'd gone. For they'd beat the drum slowly, played the fife lowly, played the dead march as they carried me along. They'd found a tomb for me and closed it behind me, a sorry young cowboy who'd surely done wrong. My partner, he ain't only full of affection, he also possesses unusual clout. He had the tomb opened and stood at the entrance. And though I was rotting, said Lazarus, come out. And somehow I heard him, I heard him quite clearly. My muscles repaired and I suddenly woke. I made for the sunlight and so my dear sisters and hopefully soon in their bathtub I'll soak. For they'd beat the drum slowly, played the fife lowly, played the dead march as they carried me along. But Jesus, my Savior and Lord, he revived me, a grateful young cowboy who'd surely done Thank you, thank you. So that was the old cowboy song, The Streets of Laredo, with new words about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And if you'd like to read that story without any imaginary details, please do look it up in John chapter 11. Well, in this part of the program, we ask a listener to tell a true story which they think might illustrate something from the Bible. And I believe this time we have Merle on the line with a story about a fast food restaurant. Uh, hello, Merle. Is that Mr. McHarris? Yes, yes it is. Uh, uh, it's Mel, Mel here. Uh, yes, I'm, <laughs> How are you this evening? Oh, oh, I'm well, thank you, yes. My husband Max, he thinks that we might have had a experience like Romans 3 verse 19b. Oh yes, Romans 3 verse 19b. So that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Yeah, 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 so what happened? Uh, well, Max and I, um, we were once silenced at Red Rooster. Oh, were you? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, what happened was, uh, Max and I, we were coming down from Moama to Melbourne, 
Yes. And uh, we'd been on the road about three hours, and we got a bit hungry. So yeah. I, I, we came across a place. It was it was a red rooster. So we went into the drive-through, mm. and uh, we decided we'd have a uh, chicken wrap with chips. <laughs> oh yes, yes, but, very uh, good. Yes, but uh, well, when we were about to place our order. Max went to speak to the lady in the little box, yeah. but, but he wouldn't believe it. Max couldn't get the window down. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Uh, the ute had seized up a bit. So, uh, so, so, so what did you do? Oh, uh, well, I said to Max, um, you'll have to speak up a bit, Max. Yes. So he kept yelling, two chicken wraps with chips, please. Right. And, um, but could the lady in the box hear him? Oh, well, I don't know. Max said, do you think they heard me, Mel? And I said, oh, I don't know, Max. I can't hear them. <laughs> So you just drove, you didn't get any red rooster? Uh, no, no. Did you, did you think to open the door and speak oh. through the open door? Oh, oh well, no, uh, no actually, um, no, we probably could have done that, I suppose. <laughs> well, though, the fact that you didn't, that's a good illustration for the fact that uh, when God decides to declare that we're guilty, we don't have anything to say in response. Oh. Yes, that's an excellent illustration. Oh, oh really? Yes, thank oh, you. Oh, so Max, oh, yes. thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mel. No worries. Okay. All okay. Bye-bye. Right. Well, you're listening to The Pilgrim's Pod, and you're with me, your host, Will McCarris. And in just a moment, I'll tell you my true story for this episode. But first, let's have another short piece of instrumental music. This is just a little snippet of an old music hall song called Darling Mabel. Well, in this part of the Pilgrim's Pod, I like to tell a story from when I lived in Bucklebone, a little town near the edge of the great Australian outback. And this is a true story about a couple of problems that I had when I lived in Bucklebone. Uh, one was a problem that almost everyone in the town had in their houses uh, from about September to April every year, and that was ants. Over the winter, you wouldn't really see any ants. Uh, but in spring and summer, and for part of the autumn... Many, many little brown, brown ants would suddenly appear whenever you put out anything that might attract them. The other problem I had in Bucklebone was a, a bit more particular to me. It was a certain insecurity uh, that I had when I was there. And that's what this story is partly about, as well as being about the ants. Uh, I wrote it down when I lived in Bucklebone. And so I'll read it uh, for you now as I wrote it down then. I have edited it a little to make some things clearer, but this is basically what I wrote down at the time. Here is the story of my ant pole, which I created to ensure that there was at least one spot in my house completely free of ants. A couple of months after I arrived in Bucklebone, one day I noticed a strange little hole in the ceiling of my kitchen, and it occurred to me that this hole might be the perfect size up which to jam a broom handle. There was an old broom handle in the laundry, I think, and I thought that perhaps if the broom handle came down from the ceiling and didn't touch anything below it, 
but just reached down and then stopped in midair, then it might be the perfect place to hang some things that would ordinarily attract ants onto the kitchen bench. I figured that the ants would still smell any items on the broom handle, but that they wouldn't realise that to get to those things, they would first have to walk away from them, that they would have to go up the wall, away from the attractive things, and only then approach them again, across the ceiling and down the broom handle. So I pushed the handle into the hole, and after checking that it wouldn't quickly fall out again, I added some hooks down the end on which to hang my various ant attractions. And I proudly named this new invention my ant pole. Now my ant pole could only ever partially solve my whole ant problem. So there were always ants around my George Foreman grill, for example. And my ant pole really couldn't do anything about that. However, as far as it went, as soon as I put the pole up, it proved an immediate success. Initially, I just hung my garbage on it. Later still, I would even begin to hang on the ant pole my favourite inexpensive snack, the sunflower seed. I'd always been amazed to see how much trouble the ants in my house would go to to carry my sunflower seeds back to their nest. But for many months after the ant pole was born, none of the ants ever realised that they could get to the seeds by simply walking up the wall and down the pole. It seemed to me that the ant pole was the best thing I'd ever invented. Because of this, I hoped that the pole would win the admiration of the people of Bucklebone. To be honest, I've always felt a little insecure among the very practical people of the Australian bush. I feared that somehow among them I might be seen as a kind of nutty professor, a person with theoretical ability but not much else. And so I hoped that my ant pole might serve as something of a badge of credibility among these people whom I so admired. I hoped that they might recognise that I too could invent something, that I too could solve a practical problem with a practical measure. But alas, neither I nor the ant pole ever really received the respect I felt we were due. <laughs> All the pole ever seemed to get were wisecracks and mystified looks. That was despite the fact that the pole was, as far as I knew, the only truly successful ant measure that anyone in the town had ever come up with. Even people who had put items of food in the middle of pools of water had found that the ants could somehow walk across the water to get to them. But amidst all that failure, my ant pole had remained strong and secure, a place of refuge for sunflower seeds which had nowhere else to be. I should probably concede, however, that there was one feature of the ant pole which did make it slightly ridiculous. It didn't have much of a weight-bearing load, and so it could never really handle the amount of things I used to hang on it. And it would frequently come crashing down to the floor with a very loud noise shortly after I'd put too much in the pole's rubbish bag. And regrettably, this often happened when I had visitors in the house, <laughs> thus weakening the pole's credibility very considerably. There goes the ant pole, people would say, with knowing chuckles. Because of this obvious fault, I never got too annoyed about the failure of Bucklebone to admire my ant pole. However, a turning point came when I enlisted the help of a very practical friend of mine, a Bucklebone local, to help me increase the pole's maximum load. He was able to do it very easily, shaving off some of the end of the pole to make for a better fit into the hole in the ceiling. It went in very snugly. And after that, the pole did, I feel, truly become a wonder of modern engineering. <laughs> I now began to pile up 
massive amounts of garbage on it, deliberately not taking out the bags so as to make sure there was plenty of weight on it next time someone came to visit. Perhaps I was now becoming a bit obsessive about the poll because, sure enough, when the people of Bucklebone continued to ignore my invention, I suddenly found myself becoming quite frustrated and angry. I remember one morning I had been reading some of one or two kings in the Old Testament. There the Israelites would repeatedly forsake the living God in order to worship the Canaanite goddess Asherah instead. And to do that, they would fashion giant wooden poles, which came to be known as Asherah poles. Yet somehow, on one of the very days when I had been reading such disturbing stories, I suddenly caught myself responding to yet another ant pole snub with the thought, why won't people worship my pole? (laughs) Those exact words in my head. Well, sadly, just as the Israelites failed to repent of their pole worship and were later overrun by invaders. I continued to crave attention for my invention. I did, in fact, come quite close to receiving it one day in early March of 2009 when a visiting mission team was staying in the house when I was out of town. By all accounts, they were quite awestruck by the ingenuity of the pole. However, I didn't get to hear this praise in person and, in any case, it didn't come from the people of Bucklebone but from visiting city folk who were possibly just as theoretical and impractical as I was. As the end of that march drew near, my Aunt Pole was fast approaching its first anniversary. As far as I could tell from some digital photos I had taken, this was to be April the 3rd. By this time, the weather was also beginning to cool off, and because I was due to move on from Bucklebone that winter, it seemed that the Aunt Pole would soon be having its very last chance to be admired in action by the town. I was, in fact, due to have people over for dinner on the evening of April the 2nd, and so I was perhaps hoping that this finally would be the glorious occasion when my Aunt Pole would be admired just in time for its first birthday. Of course, for my own part, I would be happy to be admired for my inventiveness at any time until my departure. However, for the Aunt Pole's sake, I hoped it might receive some praise while the, uh, while the house was still swarming with ants and while it was still, therefore, actually doing its job. So with winter approaching, the pole was running up against a much closer praise deadline. On the morning of April 2nd, my feelings were therefore quite mixed when I came into the kitchen and saw that there were no ants anywhere on the kitchen bench. There were no ants on the George Foreman grill And there were no ants around the sink either. The main entry points at the windows and the back door were also completely ant-free. And so I concluded the ant season was over. They would be gone now for another winter. And that night at dinner, the pole would no longer be a functioning ant pole. It would just be a broom handle jammed into a hole in the ceiling. (laughs) So I could no longer really hope that the meal would be a final triumphant birthday banquet for the pole. It seemed a sad end to the pole's ant career, but at least I could take some comfort from the fact that it had now got through a full ant season with a completely unblemished record. Apart from some stowaways, which I'd carelessly slipped in with some rubbish, no ant had ever been found on the pole. It was truly a job well done. And so that morning... After I had inspected every possible ant location around the kitchen, I turned to face the pole 
as if to give it a final handshake before taking it down to show just how much I appreciated its efforts. When I gazed on the pole, however, I made a surprising discovery. It was swarming with ants. <laughs> they were marching up and down it with a ferocity I'd rarely seen in the natural world, carrying their food with great happiness. So this was why there were no ants anywhere else around the kitchen. They had found the pole. I looked up to see how they had reached the top. And to my great surprise, they hadn't walked up the kitchen wall at all. They were coming down directly from the roof through the hole in which the pole had been jammed, the pole hole. So even the snug fit I'd been so proud of had proved a failure. Some ants must have walked up another wall in the house before roaming about the roof and then finally stumbling upon a tiny little crack which led down to all the food they could ever want and then, of course, telling all their friends. Needless to say, this was all very humiliating. But I had to acknowledge, of course, the justice of what had occurred. I'd worshipped my ant pole, and it was entirely fair that it now be overrun by invaders, just as the Israelites had been so many centuries before. And while I couldn't be sure of the exact date on which I'd first put up the pole, it seemed likely the ants had effectively invaded it just shy of its first anniversary. It all seemed horribly appropriate. In a final irony, I realised that it was better to have all the ants coming down the pole via the roof than to have them crawling around the kitchen looking for other food. <laughs> In that respect, the pole was still performing quite a valuable ant management role. <laughs> and so I decided to keep it up until the genuine end of the ant season, whenever that was. But this, of course, meant that I had no hope of hiding the invasion of the pole from visitors to the house. And so when my local friends arrived for dinner that night, a deeper round of humiliation began. <laughs> As I write now, it has been three weeks since the day of invasion. In that time, the weather in Bucklebone has become much colder, and the ants have gradually disappeared from the house, even from the pole. And so on Saturday, I took it down for the last time, and a broom handle now lies once again on the floor in lonely rejection. I suspect it is unlikely ever to return to being a broom, and I have no doubt that when I leave Bucklebone, if it somehow stays in the house, no one is ever going to jam it up into the kitchen ceiling again. But as for me, the mercies of the Lord have been new every morning, and unlike the pole, no one has rejected me. For that and the many other mercies of the Lord and his people here in Bucklebone, I try to be truly thankful. The end. Thank you, thank you. Well, to finish the program, Paul Enns is going to sing us the old spiritual glory, glory when I lay my burden down. So thanks very much to Paul, also to our other musicians for this episode, David Hatch, Michael Andrews, Helena Brown, John Childress, Mark Menel and Sam Folds. Thanks also to our sound engineers, Chris Ferguson, Andy Beer and Shane Wall, and to Jane Lennon for her help with this episode too. My name's Will McCurris. This has been The Pilgrim's Pod. Goodbye. Glory, glory, hallelujah, when I lay my burden down. Glory, glory, hallelujah, when I lay my burden down. 
feel like shouting hallelujah since I lay my burden down. Feel like shouting hallelujah since I lay my burden down. Lay your burden down, David. been listening to the pilgrims pod if you've been liking our peas and our beans please head to our website pilgrimspod.org where you can watch a couple of music videos that we've made we've also made an album of most of the bible songs that i sing on the program with narration in between to make for an overview of the whole bible story so please head to pilgrimspod.org if you're keen to hear that and please do listen here again next time too